But it's not just our relationship with others that sin damages. Sin also causes alienation from ourselves. So at the end of chapter 2, the author of Genesis tells us that Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed. But then they sin. And what's the very first thing they do after they sin? Verse 7 tells us, Then their eyes were open and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Like their unashamedness turned to shame because of sin. Sin made Adam and Eve become self-focused, self-centered, self-critical. As they suddenly cared about how they were perceived by others. And they felt the need to hide parts of who they were. And so like we do we do the same thing. Maybe not as graphically as Adam and Eve covering their nakedness, but like we do the same thing. We don't like who we are. We feel alienated from ourselves. And so we feel ashamed of who God created us to be. And therefore we, we feel the need to portray a false picture of who we are to the world. We hide who we really are. We pretend to be someone else. Because sin has alienated us from our true selves. Meanwhile, we feel shame and guilt and self-loathing over who we are and what we are like. Sin alienates us from God and alienates us from others and alienates us from ourselves. Sin also alienates us from creation. When God moves on to curse Adam, he says, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistle for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Then from it you were taken, and from dust you are, and to dust you will return. And from this point forward for Adam, what was once a joyful task of tending and keeping the garden will become this challenging, difficult task of keeping weeds out and forcing the earth to produce produce for him. What's a joyful task becomes a labor because of the sin of Adam and Eve. Because of, because of sin, we are alienated from creation. We're in constant battle against it. Sin is why we have things like, like natural disasters, like earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes. Sin is why we have sickness, pandemics. Sin has alienated us from creation. And sin has alienated us from ourselves and from others and from God. Like it's not it's not shocking news to anyone in this room that like things are not right in the world. Whether it's sickness, whether it's violence, whether it's 
other kinds of strife. Like, we see it everywhere we look. Sin has caused all kinds of problems. Sin is obviously a great enemy. But here's where we reach the critical point in the sermon. Because it'd be really easy to wrap up this sermon by saying, like, look, look at all this bad stuff sin does. So, like, you go make sure you try really hard not to sin. Sin is bad. Don't do it. Peace. Right? And, like, look, that's true. Sin is bad. Don't do it. But that's not the point of the passage. Because that the effects of sin are already unleashed on the world. Like, even if starting today you could somehow make yourself never sin again. Like, your past sin has alienated you from God and from others. Creation is broken in ways that cannot be undone. What this passage shows us is that sin and the effects of sin are pervasive. The effects of sin are wide and they are deep. Like a little bit of human effort is not going to fix all those things. What this passage causes us to cry out for is not some step-by-step plan for avoiding sin in the future. This passage should cause us and encourage us to cry out instead for rescue. The only way to escape the consequences of sin is if we're rescued from them. We cannot escape them in our own power. We need a great Savior. And thankfully, God has had a plan since before time began to save His people from the effects of sin. And we see the very first hint of that plan here in this passage. In verse 15, we read, And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The theologians like to use a big fancy word called proto-evangelium to refer to this passage, which just means like proto meaning first, evangelium meaning gospel. It's the first gospel. The first statement of God's plan to save his people from the consequences of sin. This passage tells us like one day a descendant of the woman would come who would crush the head of the serpent. But as he crushed the serpent's head, the serpent would strike back and strike the offspring's heel, like wounding and harming the woman's offspring. But in the process, the serpent would be defeated. And now, like living on this side of history, we can see that the promised child of Eve that would one day crush the serpent's head is Jesus. Jesus, who the Bible calls the second Adam. Jesus who came to earth, who resisted all the temptations of the serpent, Satan, and who lived a perfect life. But despite that he lived a perfect life, Satan still struck his heel by arranging for him to be put to death 
on a cross. Like, the death he deserved, did not deserve to die. Right? But in a great, great turn of events, the act of dying the death he didn't deserve is what enabled Jesus to crush the head of the serpent. Like by dying on the cross, Jesus takes the sins of everyone who believes in him on himself. And he pays the penalty for those sins on the cross. He died the death we were supposed to die in our place. In his death on the cross, God treats Jesus like he sinned all the sins we ever sinned and treats us like we live the perfect life that Jesus lived. And because of that, all the consequences of sin can begin to be reversed. Through, through Jesus, we're no longer alienated from God. Because God sees us as living the sinless life that Jesus lived. We are once again worthy to come into His presence. And one day we will be in His presence for all time in the new heavens and the new earth if we trust in Jesus. Right, so if you're, if you're listening, you're here, and you've, you've never trusted Jesus, right, that's the first need. If you're alienated from God apart from Jesus, they're coming in eternity when you either spend eternity with God or apart from God in hell. And the only way to be with God is to be worthy of being in His presence. And the only way to do that is by trusting in Jesus as your righteousness. So, because of Jesus, we can, we can reverse our alienation from God to be made right with Him again. And through Jesus, we also have the opportunity to reverse our alienation from others. We can look, we can work toward reconciliation with other people. Like you look around, you look at our, the work on the world, look around our country, and you see all kinds of strife. It's not news to anyone. You see vitriol, you see hatred, and it should sadden us to see that. But it shouldn't surprise us. That's what sin does. But as Christians, we have the unique opportunity to be voices of hope and reconciliation in that chaos. Like our hope is not in political structure, it's not in our side winning. Like our hope is in the fact that Jesus has already won. And because of that, like, Jesus is the only cure for the alienation that exists between people. But we, we of all people, should be voices of hope and healing and reconciliation in the midst of fallenness and brokenness because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so, in just a minute, we're going to take communion together. And it seems like an especially appropriate week to take communion because like as we think about the great consequences of sin 
It's, it's worth while to take a few minutes to reflect on the great cost that our great Savior needed to pay to free us from those consequences. And that's what we get to do when we take communion. We, we partake of the bread and it reminds us of the broken body of our Savior. If we drink the juice, we're reminded of the fact that Jesus' blood was spilled and to rescue us from the power and penalty of sin. And so like, one of my hopes coming out of this sermon that we just feel the weight and the depth of our sin. And I know that's not a real cheery goal, but it's a goal that we need to feel. In order to understand how great a Savior Jesus is, we need to understand how deep and how great our sin is and how severe the consequences for our sin are. So like, and my hope in that, though, is not that we will wallow in guilt over our sin. My hope is not that we'll be motivated to try extra hard not to sin. My hope is that we will see how great a deal our sin is, so we are all the more in awe of what a great Savior Jesus is. So now, before we partake in communion together, I just want to give us a few minutes of quiet reflection. Think about our sin and its consequences. And then think about what Jesus did. So if in this time, if there's like anything you need to repent to God for, bring your sin to Him, because Jesus has already paid for it on the cross. Take a few minutes, consider our sin, repent if we need to, and then we'll partake together. Let's pray. Father, help us now to examine our hearts well, reveal to us sin that dwells there, help us to repent, knowing that Jesus has already taken care of it.
On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Partake. supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me let's partake Father may we always remember the sacrifice Jesus made his broken body, his shed blood, all to crush the head of the serpent, to put to death Satan, to defeat the effects of sin, all because you loved us, all because you care for us even though we had done nothing to deserve it. Father, we praise you that because of Jesus' sinless life, his death on the cross was not the end. He was raised again on the third day. And that one day, because of our faith in what He's done for us. We will spend eternity with You, worshiping You in the new heavens and the new earth. There will be no serpent. There will be no sin. There will be no consequences for sin because there will be no sin. Thank You that You are working all things toward that end. Help us to look toward that glorious future. In the midst of trial, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of hurt and pain. Help us to look to that future, trusting in Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we leave you go trusting that Jesus has crushed the serpent's head. You are dismissed.
squeak it in there. 